0: The
1: game. <laughs> All right, let's do this. How are you what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck berry Thins? What the fucksters? Oh shit. I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you listening. I uh I like talking to you. Is that a weird thing to say? I I like talking to you guys. I think I talk to you really more, you know, on a personal level in terms of what's going on in my life than I do most people. And uh you're you're my you're my friends. I mean, I talk to people here in the garage. I talk to the guys at work. I you know, the problem with not having a regular crew of dudes that you hang out with or if you don't socialize a lot, is that, uh, you know, you just become too much information guy, and that's who I am, and I've always been that, and it's it's always a, a tricky bit of business, putting people in that position. Everything's okay in my life. Everything's great. Things are, are you, you know, I'm, I'm doing, I'm busy. I'm doing the work I want to be doing. Uh, it's creative work. Everything's going great, but I'm an emotional moron. I'm an emotionally crippled guy. I mean, I can talk to you guys. I mean, this is between us. But when it comes to interpersonal relationships, I'm a troubled man. I wish more than anything, quite honestly, that I could be one of those guys where you know people say, like, just man up or shut up or pull yourselves up by your bootstraps and, you know, just you know, get it together, man. Snap out of it. God damn it. I wish I could do that. All I know is that, you know, I'm about to, to get on a plane here and I'm packing recovery literature. All I know is that I'm going to be the guy on the plane reading the book on codependency. That's that's what I know about me. Because I get to a certain point and it, and things just get difficult and aggravated, and I shut down, and I blow up, and it's just fucking ridiculous, and I'm tired of it. Sorry to dump this on you. I know you're on your way to work. I know maybe you got your kids in the car, and and, you you don't have time to help me out, but I'm about to be 50 years old, and I've got unresolved emotional issues of a five-year-old child. And at some point, it's like, all right, look, I got the sobriety in place. You know, I got that going. But now I got to deal with the other shit. How long do we got to wait for the other shit? And I know some of you are like, look, man, just shut up, man. Just shut up. Just, you know, just deal with it. Just deal with it. Look, I envy the people that just have a life. You know, there might be some problems, but not every problem is a goddamn life-threatening concept. They just kind of roll with it. For me, mundane problems, you know, just turn into sort of malignant hurricanes of bullshit and I'm the guy walking up the street like he's fighting wind because of something that's going on in my head. Are you fucking kidding me? God damn it! And then I say, the more grandiose parts of me thinks say, so. like, well, I, yeah, haven't all great men had their issues? You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sure that Gandhi lost his shit sometimes. But who the fuck am I to compare myself to any great man? It's just such a grandiose fucking rationalization. I might as well just go with Jesus. That's what he's for. But then, like, there's other parts of me that's sort of like, oh, what would Keith Richards do? I, I guess he'd just bail, go to his house in Jamaica, hang out for a while, smoke some weed, get fucked up, play with the local musicians, then maybe pop back up to his house in New York or maybe to his house over in London, hang out for a little while, blow some steam off, have sex with a few groupies. Yeah, what's missing in that picture for me is the other houses, the ability to uh, smoke weed or get fucked up, the ability to go have sex with some groupies without destroying everything. So the what would Keith Richards do uh, idea doesn't, doesn't play out anymore. At some point, I got to say, you know, what would Mark Marin do? Well, he doesn't know all the time. Stop talking about me like that. Shut up. Oh, my God. So for those of you following the saga of me, for those of you who are locked in and listening in order, did I mention Robert Wool? is going to be on the show today. and Some of you might not know who he is. Robert Wool. The first time I think I saw Robert Wool, to be quite honest with you, was on the dating game when I was a kid. On the dating game as a contestant. Yes, they used to use comedians as contestants. Some of you might know him from Good Morning Vietnam. Some of you might know him from Arliss, Bull Durham, Batman. But the Hollywood Nights I saw in high school was sort of a Animal House knockoff, and he played the Belushi-ish guy. It's a very loud and big and broad and cheerful act, and I had one of the great conversations with him. This is a great WTF conversation. I had no idea his history in comedy and 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 the part uh, in his life that Rodney Dangerfield played, and how he came up. and uh, He's also doing uh, the the HBO. Is it on HBO. Uh, Assume the position one hundred one and two hundred one. You can get that's his uh, his riff on uh, on history. It's sort of like a class sing. He does sort of a stand-up history lesson, teaching things. He's very proud of that. But it was a great conversation, and, I, and he's a great guy. But some good stories here, folks. Some really good stand-up stories from Robert Wool. That's coming up in a second. You know, I'm, I'm, just, uh, I'm just struggling a little bit. In, uh, and I'm not looking for sympathy. I'm not looking for self-pity. I'm looking for the fortitude to plow forward with the work I need to do on me. I know it sounds selfish. I know some of you think I'm a navel gazer. I know some of you think this is bullshit. Believe me. If I could just shut up and man up, I would. But my man up guy is a little uh, apprehensive. You know, I'm really trying to be a better man. And I'm trying to, uh, to do the right thing in my relationship. And I'm trying to, to treat Jessica well. And I'm trying to navigate... This love, but I'm, I'm you know, I'm having a hard time. It's difficult times here. I want it to work out. I want us to be happy. I want it to work out. But I've got some sort of emotional cancer in me. So we had a long discussion. It was not a great discussion. It was a sad discussion the other night and, uh, you know, on Friday. And I was pretty beat up by it and, you know, kind of lost by it. and saddened. And I came out here to the garage and uh, to plink out a few blues tunes. So I figure, you know, if I'm going to play blues for nobody, I better play them for me when they mean it, when they can, when I can feel it, when it can make me feel better. And I'm out here probably feeling sorry for myself, probably feeling some sadness, some relief, a mixture of feelings. But, you know, it was just one of those sort of like Frank horrible uh, relationship discussions. And I just felt like, oh man, I can't deal with this again. I can't deal with all this trouble. What am I going to do? I got to, I got to, I got to do something. I got to help myself. I got to, got to figure this out. Got to take some action. Just sitting out here with my guitar, feeling a little beat up. I hear I hear a noise outside on the you know on the little stairway by the deck I hear the sound of a of a cat eating and I put my guitar down and I went outside and I stuck my head around the corner and fucking deaf black cat deaf black cat was eating some cat food looking pretty good Looking pretty good. I would not seen him since Monday. Since I released him back with his stitches. Thinking like, I don't know if he's going to make it out there. Fucking on my deck. Looking right at me. With that same beautiful, fuck you, I made it look. I'm alright, buddy. I'm not mad at you, I guess. Just don't put that trap out there again. And I thought, yeah, man. I hear you. I'm trying not to put the trap out for me again. I won't put it out for you unless I have to. It's good to see you. Have some food. Take your time. We're going to get through this, pal. Let's talk to Robert Wool. I think you'll enjoy this one. You're a professional.
0: Yeah, I have a radio show tonight I have to do, so I put the headphones on. Do you?
1: Yeah. What's it? What's a... I'm
0: doing a thing for Sirius Radio once a week. I do fantasy baseball for him. What is
1: it? You know, a, a, this is an interesting thing. You know, we'll get back to, you know, my my memories of
0: you in a second, but sports, you live for it. I really don't. I. I it's funny. I've had. I enjoy baseball a lot. I'm a yeah. big baseball fan. Yeah. I always have been. Yeah. And. I enjoy going to a lot of sporting events. I'm not a hockey fan. No. I respect the hockey. Actually, hockey fans are, as my dad used to say, they are the most loyal, the (laughs) most passionate, the the craziest fans in the world. The problem is that there's 20,000 of them in each city and no one else gives a shit. At least, at least, you know, if you didn't grow up with it, I right? Should, if, you know, but so it's sort of like soccer in other places,
1: pretty much. Well, I mean, soccer is very popular everywhere, but here, yeah, you know, soccer seems to be catching on a little bit more so because we were I, growing up with it. Well, I was just in Portland, and it's crazy up there, right? Uh, with the—is that where I was? Portland? Do they have? Yeah, they got a soccer team. Makes sense. The green—they're green. They're green. No, I'm going to get a lot of hate mail from Portland. How can you not know? But people are decked out. They're going. No, it's great. This, yeah. this is another language to me.
0: Yes. Yeah, no, but sports, sports <laughs> I grew up with. Yeah. I played sports, uh, mostly intramurals. I wasn't yeah. like on high school teams. But, or in, but like,
1: you did Arliss, which is about a sports agent.
0: Yes, it was about a sports. It was a world, but that was not because of... Uh, see, Arliss was... About a, show business to you? It was about a guy doing a job. It right. was about uh, my my greatest compliment came one time when I was going to a party and I ran into Fran Liebowitz, yeah, know, Fran Liebowitz, sure, the writer, sure. yeah, and she had her chain smoking and she comes out to me and goes, "I hate sports, but I love your show." <laughs> and I'd say, you know, it's not about sports; it's about characters in the world of sports. Yeah. That's different. Right? I was much I was much more interested than because most things about sports comes down to the big game and you numbers know?
1: and and right sort of and, and that's totally
0: unemotional yeah the big game unemotional yeah. uh, crap i cared about a guy doing his job yeah. my father ran a business so i was interested in a guy running a business yeah I was, I was interested in the characters of um the world of sports for example the woman who was the choreographer of the laker girls yeah i was interested in that yeah what's her story so, well, yeah there's a lot of stories there that might be interesting in the guy who was <laughs> selling peanuts sure you know, what's his story? Yeah. You know, when he's making, you know, yeah. like 25, because I sold- uh, When he's loading up the truck. Yeah, with his yeah. peanuts. with his peanuts. Right, and, and then suddenly he can't sell them on the corner, he sold them forever. Sure. I was interested in like um, personal things in the world. I was The athletes themselves had interested- See, what it was, it was about a guy who was an agent, and an agent by nature- Yeah. Is a parasitic profession. The, you don't got to tell me. Right, exactly. <laughs> by nature, it's parasitic.
1: So so many professions like that, Robert. <laughs> but especially agents. Yeah, yeah, but the very nature of, of how show business is structured or in the sports or whatever business it is right. is that not
0: only is it parasitic, but you can't get anywhere without them. Well, it's helpful, but basically, an agent. If you don't worry, if he's taking a piece of what you make. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, whether, Right, but in order to get access, you need that guy. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, And he serves a purpose. Right. If he does a good job, they serve a purpose. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, they can, if they're really good yeah. and they care. Yeah. They can serve a purpose uh, a good purpose Um, So that was he he ran a business so the only thing about his clientele was very unique Because they were a very young clientele you know sports figures the average life expectancy life career life expectancy Of a professional athlete depending on the sports about anywhere from three and a half to five years It's like a, a, a an actress Actress says more than that. Not much. Here's 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 what I compare. When I hear people uh yeah. say athletes make a lot of money, they're making too much money, I go, first of all, don't don't nobody's selling. don't you don't have to throw any benefits for these owners. Yeah. I mean you can't fuck up. Yeah. Uh, you, you can't screw up a franchise more than Frank McCourt screwed up the Los Angeles Dodgers. Right. It is impossible. Okay. And he sold the team and he walked away with $2 right. billion. To how much? To $2 billion. No, that's not much. So it's, so it's like- A little bit of money. Don't huh? worry about what this guy's making uh, for four years, five, yeah. he's making $20 million. No, he's, this guy's walk doing okay. That's number one. So in defense
1: of the athlete, you're saying, look, yeah, okay, you don't begrudge him their money because they got a three to five year window. Exactly. That's it. it, that's it
0: that's for with most examples with but, mo- with with rare exceptions
1: but isn't it, that's sort of the same in comedy and in show business i mean you know yeah, i mean you know if you're good and you can nurture a career and do other things but you know if you're if you hit and the heat is on you, you got that window
0: yep. to make bank as best you can. But but, but you have a career after, even though you're not making as much bank, you have bank. Ball players' career is over. They're not making any more than playing, Unless playing ball. Unless they can get on a mic or, you know. No, or, but they're not paying, they won't be doing right, any playing ball, right. right. I they, they, say. they, passion they or they're, they're, Here, Here's the example I always right. use. Yes. You remember, uh, there was a pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers in the, whose heyday was in the 1960s named Don Drysdale.
1: I heard the name.
0: Right, very famous uh, Hall of Fame ball player. He yeah. had the great... Um, uh, consecutive innings picked streak, scoreless. Okay, and he broke the record yeah. in Los Angeles on the night that Bobby Kennedy is shot. And right. In fact, in the it job, Bobby Kennedy began his speech that night. You know, he was saying, "By saying, first of all, I want to congratulate Don Drysdale for his, you know, doing the shutout and breaking the record." And then, of course, afterwards, he walked off and got shot. Yeah. Now, so his career ends. I think Drysdale retires in 1970, 71, something like that. So that's 42 years ago. On his high school baseball team is Robert Redford. Really? So it gives you an idea a little bit of life, expect, career expectancies. Right, right. When Reford has got two movies coming out this month. Right. So it's like... And where's Drysdale? He's been uh, in in baseball. He's playing baseball for the big man upstairs for quite a while. Okay. But his career ended in 1970, 71. You know, 40 years later. That's what I'm saying. When these athletes make money, it's for a very short period of time. But do you draw strength from that?
1: I mean, you know, you've been in the racket a long time here. You've been in show business a long time. You know, my experience with you... Is that you know? When I was a kid, what year did Hollywood Nights come out? Nineteen eighty. I shot. I came out here in seventy nine. Shot it in nineteen. I saw that in high school. Right. Like I went and saw that in high school, and you were hilarious. And I had seen you do stand up before. I think like for some reason I have a recollection. Of you being on The Dating Game. Is that possible? That's correct. That's 100% correct. For how long? For how many episodes of The Dating Game did you do? I think I did three. That was just, and, and people don't maybe realize that that was a showcase for comics. Absolutely. It was a paying
0: gig. Yeah. Oh, really? When, when I first came out, I yeah. talked about living in Eagle Rock. Right. When I you first moved came to I, Eagle Rock. Right. I moved how, from, how from New Jersey to Eagle Rock. How what the fuck ha- did you find Eagle Rock? What happened was I was starting out at the Improv in New York, a guy named Bob Shanks, ex TV executive and he's now a producer. He was going to do a pilot for the Tony Teneal show. So he came to the improv to see what young talent was. In there. New York. Right. So wait, what year is that? Uh I moved out for good in 79. So this is about 78, 77, 78. So, okay, so that, I started in like seventy seven. Okay, so seventy seven, I mean in, in a way,
1: the improv it sort of arced its heyday a little bit. So you can the tail end of that. I'm there with
0: uh, my group was Larry. Larry Jer- David, Larry, Jerry, Paul Reiser, uh George Wallace was there for, at that time, uh Bob Shaw, Barry Diamond. Bob Shaw, Bob Shaw. Yeah, what yeah, about he's
1: we uh Bob Shaw once said to me when I when, by the time I got to the improv it was already the late 80s. So Silver right. owned it, Bud was out. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and Bob Chris Sh- was out. Who? Chris, Chris. Albrecht. Yeah, he was gone. Oh, that was all... It was See, Chris way Chris put over. me on
0: stage. See, Chris was the one who put me on stage. So, when did Bud move out here? Bud moves out uh, before I get there. Maybe a year before so I get there. 76, 77. So, you were
1: at the tail end of that, of, of the New York improv Right. Scene. Leno had already...
0: Was, I was after the group of Leno, Elaine Boozler, Richard Lewis, Bluestone... Kaufman. They, right. They had already gone. Now, right. interestingly enough, my wife was a waitress there who had came out with Bud. So she actually was part of that uh, that group there. Now, she was working as a waitress. She was a, um, uh, what, a teacher. Bud came out here in, what,
1: 76, 74? 76, 77, something yeah, like that, okay. right?
0: 76, so that's when he came out. So I came into to the improv in New York, Around, at the tail end of 76. How old were you when you started doing stand-up? 24, 25, something like that. So you knew, so those guys were 24. all your contemporaries. So you going back but and I forth. Didn't, then- I didn't know any of them. I didn't know any of them. I knew, um, like I said, I, the guys I knew were, I started with was Riser. Right, right, you know them then.
1: Right. But So you were going back and forth from the comic strip to the improv yes. to Catch a Rising right. Star. exactly, exactly, okay. yeah.
0: So then, I so Bob Shanks sees me, he gives me a job doing a little, performing and writing on the Tony Tennille pilot. So I come out here and I do that, and it turns out one of the other writers on the pilot had a house in Eagle Rock. Okay, and so I said I'm going to move out here. He rented me the house. Okay, and so and I stayed there only a couple of months, and then I moved to Westwood with your wife at the time. No, 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 not well, well, no, I wasn't married at the time. We were just starting dating. We, we she d- d- was a comedy club waitress from The Improv. She, she was a waitress. She was a bartender, and she actually she was moonlighting. She was working at Simon and Schuster, but moonlighting as a, a bartender.
1: So that scene then, because like I've talked to who have I talked to in here? Yeah, I talked to Jimmy Walker. So you're, right. you're going to get the generation before you That is. Right, history that was before me. Yeah, but like it, it, by the time you got in richard lewis is gone too lewis has gone too they're so all gone. that that whole first generation He's of gone. what was uh the the first wave of modern american stand-ups right who right. came out it went but your generation which is really the second generation sidefeld riser wolfberg you know all right the, you dennis know, all, uh, uh, larry larry gilbert David, gilbert so so these guys were the guys that you would go to the diner with yes and you know that scene so they were very aware that comedy was
0: Uh, It had blown up. It was a big business, right? It started because what had happened was in the previous years was um, Saturday Night Live started and Mm -hmm. then exploded. Robin Williams, no, Robin Williams was about didn't explode yet. He was about to. Uh, Steve Martin had exploded, right? Because that was when I was. Woody Allen, Annie Hall had exploded, won the best picture, so. That was the the comedy clubs were starting. Yeah. There weren't many comedy clubs to work then. I mean, oh, Pips and Head Bay. Sure. And uh, you, you pick up a club in New Jersey, a club here. And, so and you but did the, that? Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. <laughs> you oh, say, yeah. So you were chasing it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like, everybody starts yeah, that way. absolutely. So, so how long... You and uh, I come out here in January of 79, where Bob Shanks says, I'm going to get you a deal at Universal. I have yeah. a deal over here. Come out and get your holding deal. And So I come out. Now, I had an advantage in that right off the bat, I started writing for Rodney Dangerfield. I was one of the first. Kids. So I in started, New York, yeah, and Rodney was great to me. How old were you? I was about 25, 26. So, you, so you've been doing comedy 26. a couple of years? Oh no, no, I'm doing comedy a couple of months. A couple of months, and Rodney sees you? No, I, I go to Rodney's dressing. I go to Rodney's dressing room. Where on the door? at Dangerfield's. <laughs> yeah. He's okay. still working there. Okay, he's and, still walking around his bathrobe. Yes, yeah, exactly. And he yeah. opens the door and uh, he says, "What is a kid?" And I said, I got a couple of jokes I wrote for you. And they told me to come here. Yeah. And he goes, Okay, kid, let me hear them. Yeah. And I said, Okay, I'm all right now, but last week I was in rough shape. You know, a guy comes up to me at the airport. He says, let me $5 till payday. I said, when's payday? He says, I don't know. You got the job. <laughs> and he says, Okay, kid, the jokes are good, but don't do me. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, and then uh, uh, I started, did, wrote a couple of jokes, and they uh, did them on The Tonight Show. Yeah. And he would call me. What was great. Is I work. I did some work with him over the next year or so. Uh, yeah. And he would try. He liked me. He said, "You are. Goes. You're a good joke editor. You're not an editor." Which, which I have to say, I, I confess, I'm fairly good at that. And he, what he would do is he would leave. He would call my message machine at home when I was I was living in Jersey City at the time. Yeah. And he would call my home, leave a joke on the message machine, and actually pause for the laugh. <laughs> One would, after the he other? Would, he would do jokes like, yeah. he would uh, message would he go, hey Bob, what do you think of this one? Oh, I'll tell you, I worked some rough clubs, you know, I worked Vinnie, on, on the menu they had broken leg of lamb. <laughs> so what do you think? He was the best. Great, but, he was great, but
1: wait, what, I think honestly though, in the big
0: picture, one of the most underappreciated comedians. Without a doubt. I talk about it all the time. The great comic artists, of i think of now there's a lot of them yeah i mean i don't want to list them but when they talk about Pryor and cosby uh carlin rodney rod actually rodney starts with lenny bruce he would tell me stories about jack Star- roy jack yeah, roy yeah jack roy and joe Ansis, joe Ansis were I were best right, friends right and lenny and
1: right and, and do you know joe Ansis? yes you did oh uh, yeah because right. of Rodney. Okay, well, let, let me ask you a question then. So, uh, and we'll talk about you know uh, you know his importance because I'm I'm a big champion of the legacy of Rodney Dangerfield oh, because he was the greatest. Because you know he was such a heavy hearted dude. And like you know when I first met the guy, I, you know like I was a kid, but he come. I was a doorman at the comedy store, but like there was something about he was a real loner in a way. Oh, yeah. And and that, like, you know, he didn't feel like he, you know, he come into it, he comes back, he doesn't get his big break until he's in his 60s, and then, like, all the dudes that, like, he seemed, it, he didn't seem to be one of the guys. He had oh, his no. own thing. No, and no. and I think that show business sort of treated him that way in a way. And that when he got, when you know, when he got back to school in that big break, in my mind, in, in I would like to think that Rodney is like, oh fuck you.
0: Well, he was uh, like that, yeah. Here was a, here was the thing about Rodney. Um, he became hot in the mid. He was starting to become hot in the mid seventies because all the tonight he was on the Tonight Show and Carson loved him. And I got to tell you, as a college kid back yeah. then, we'd watch Rodney. Right. Rodney was like because the jokes were just so fucking. Good. And, and, then, he's the most underappreciated comic writer. That I've known in my life. And the delivery system was perfect. The character was so intact. What's interesting is when you listen to his early comedy albums, you know, like The Loner, Mm -hmm. I think his first one is The Loner he's not doing the same thing he's storytelling right he's a brilliant storyteller but then he, he when you ask him about what happened he said it was after the Godfather and the Godfather they had all this stuff about respect respect yeah, yeah. and so he's one day said I got no respect and he, that hooked on he said and I started to do bang it was like he was like doing rock and roll in the sense of like he would have these wonderful stories you ever hear the story of how he got his name it's a monologue oh. about I tell you so, so one time I, I a guy comes to see me because you know you' got a good show but it's your name and he goes, well, what's, it? I go, What? what's in a name? He goes, what? He goes, what's in a name? Shakespeare said that. The guy said, you're going to listen to me, you're going to listen to your friends. You know, it's like, <laughs> he would do jokes, he goes, I got a name for you. He goes, what's the name? The A name that when somebody hears it, they'll say it, be saying it forever. He goes, what's the name? He goes, Rodney Dangerfield. And he goes, Rodney Dangerfield. He goes, see, you're saying it already. So <laughs> he goes, listen, try it out for two weeks, but do me a favor, don't give it a bad name. And he comes <laughs> back later, and he's about two weeks later, and he goes, yeah, uh, uh, Rodney Dangerfield. And he, he goes, oh, he, he goes who? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Says, Who? And he goes, Rodney <laughs> <Daisy> he <laughs> goes, Oh yeah, Shakespeare's friend. You know, so he told these wonderful stories. Yeah, I mean yeah. just so smart and I've so never hit. seen that record. Oh it's great. I think it's the original one called The Loner. But then he started talking huh. about he said, when you go on it was then it was like he knew the attention span and he said one liners. Bang. Yeah. Bang. And he said and he, and he goes, and his whole thing was when you go on the tonight show, you gotta do damage. Yeah. That was his thing. Do yeah. damage. Yeah. So he would have his thing and he knew he was gonna have thirty two jokes he had to written out in his legal pad. Yeah. Which jokes and we'd go over the whole routine and you know, which was gonna be panel, which was yeah. gonna be so and so and of course and, and he he was a craftsman in that way and he loved young comics who had something to say yeah. he had no patience for comics who were just your bland observational comics right. and he goes i remember he would heckle them. He would he would come back and he would come. because you know, Rodney's a big pothead. Yeah. He would say, Bob, the problem with you is you don't keep your pipe clean. Yeah. You got to keep your pipe clean. <laughs> you know. So okay, I'll work on it. So uh, so Rodney uh, he would come into the he'd come and he'd hang out the, at the improv. Yeah. And sit in the back, get you know couple, in New York. Uh, yeah, a couple of drinks and everything. And then come would come on. And if he'd say, he "You know, you know what's with the color green?" The guy would come up. What's with the color green? Everything is green. Green means go. Yeah, yeah. And Dangerfield would start heckling. He goes. He'd say, you know, when you go to the supermarket and do this, something like that. And then Rodney would say, come on, man, tell me a joke. (laughs) Tell me a joke. Next you're going to tell me where I buy my fucking shoes. (laughs) (laughs) So he was, so he brings me out here. Hmm. So Rodney brought me out here in about 19- So how long did you write for him? about a year or so but I was always there when he asked me to you know, do a little so something. that
1: was really you know, that was your first show business job Absolute, outside of yeah. comedy and you yeah. sought him but out my first
0: job the first thing I wrote was because uh, I was writing comedy down when I went to college but that was in Texas and then I came back and I wrote Stiller and Mira had a little five minute interstitial programming show on WNBC in New York yeah. and I wrote a sketch that they bought for a couple hundred bucks that was my first gig and I first met Ben there oh really ben had, when he was a kid yeah Ben was like 13, 12 I don't know so um, but then Rodney you know, Gabe. And you sought him out because you loved him. I was a huge fan. Yeah. And I thought I could write for him. Yeah. So then um, I went to Rodney, and Rodney brought me out with Before him. you moved out here. Yeah. He was going to do the Tonight Show. He yeah. brought me out here, and he introduced me to people, Mitzi at the, at the comedy store. So uh, I, came in, I yeah. came in with a leg up Yeah. because Rodney had done it. So right. that's how I got out here. From there on, I get some nice spots. I'm doing well. A casting director sees me. I audition for Hollywood Nights. I get Hollywood Nights. That's how that happened. So you grew up in Jersey? Mm-hmm. And what was, it, what was that life like? Just a, Suburbia New Jersey, Union, New which, Jersey. Union. Which is interesting because what's funny about it is I, I knew I wanted to get out of there. I always wanted to make films. I always wanted to be a storyteller. always wanted to make be a filmmaker. And I always enjoyed writing. Union's right by Jersey City, right? No, now, it's, it's Union by City. It's Union City. Oh, okay. And so what, Union is about 20 miles from New York City. What county? Uh, uh, Union County. Okay. And what's interesting, it's just, you know, a very mixed town, mixed ethnic town, big time. Uh, and... What's what's funny is I got out of and I never thought I was going to get out of union, and I liked it. I had a great time growing up for the most. But I didn't like high school. But I had a good time. It was a good life, you know. And uh, what's interesting is two. Uh, it's like two other comics came from Union after Ooh. me. Jeff Ross is from Union? Sure, that makes sense. And then Artie Lang is from Union. Really? And they both said they always point to me. And, and I now I'm feeling like you know like the Godfather of comedy. And they go, you don't understand, Robert, because because of your success. We could point to somebody and say, I can do it too. He comes from the same town. I could do it. Which is like... You know that's like it, it's, it makes you feel really good, but yeah. you feel old. But it makes you feel good, and it's like that's so cool. And, and, and both th- of them are good friends of mine. Yeah, that have become good friends
1: of mine. They're good guys, and there's something about Jersey. My family's from Jersey, right? You know, you're, I didn't grow up
0: in Jersey, but Jersey's oh, Jersey. It's and a said, lot of great talent came out of Jersey. You know? and yeah. Jack Nicholson, Meryl Streep, yeah, John Travolta, Frank Sinatra, Danny DeVito. I mean, all the comics I'm talking about. Uh, a lot of great. And, comics. and when
1: you talk about your old man before about you know that he worked and that he had a business and that oh. so was he? What did he
0: do? He was a fruit distributor. Uh, they had a fruit market. My, it was a family business. My grandfather started the business. He they um, uh, Down in Newark, in the Newark Farmer's Market, they were fruit distributors. They were the middlemen between, say, Sunkist and A&P in the markets. Okay. They were the distributors. So you had trucks? A&P. Oh, yeah. There were a lot of trucks. Yeah. And uh, my father went to, was a... Um, Grew up. His father was tough on him. His father was very tough on him. It was a family business. My dad either wanted to be a writer or a in in finance. Interestingly enough, my brother's in finance, and uh-huh. depending, depending on who you ask, I became a writer. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And so
1: was was you. So your grandfather? Did he start like with humble beginnings? Immigrant? Like he had his own fruit stand or a, he, he,
0: No, he wasn't an immigrant. I mean, people were over here for a while. I, I, they came from Kiev mm-hmm. originally, but uh, they were over here for a while. He and his brother started Wall Brothers Produce. And it's, which is still around today. It's a very successful business. Uh, it's still around. Not Our family's not involved anymore, but it, it's still around. Uh, and um, so he started that. My father goes to World War II, and he comes back. And you know he got married, had three kids right yep. away, yep. G- gained 50 pounds, and was miserable every day in his life going to work. <laughs> but it, he was funny. But my dad was funny. My dad could tell jokes. He loved jokes. So you he
1: grew didn't. up with, the, you know, he like, I, I brought
0: some oranges. Not really. Yeah, but not really. That wasn't that much because he was up. He was he was there so early in the morning. I didn't see him in the early part of my life because he had to be. At, his dad was tough on him. He had he had to be at like the the buyers like in the at the docks at like right. at eight six o'clock in the morning in New York. Oh God! And then he came home like six seven o'clock at night. Now, it, as a guy, as it went on, he became a partner, and then my grandfather dies, and the hours became cra- better.
1: So was he supportive of you? Well, that's you a great and- story.
0: My mother was very supportive because uh-huh. she knew what I wanted to do. My father had a good heart in the sense that he knew there was money to be made in show business. Right. He didn't quite understand me going to New York at midnight every night so I can go on stage for nothing. Yeah, But sure, my man. But my mother... Um, my mother supported that. He, she said, "Let him chase his dream." In the meantime, I went to the American Bartender Academy so I could have a bartender's license, you know. I never used it, but Did you, you I, got it though? Yeah, but I've never used it because I started making some, money. I started actually supporting Is that myself. something you have to update every year and take a test? I, I, I wouldn't know how to make I got a 100 on the test, wouldn't know how to make a drink in my life. <laughs> but like if you went into so I got a bartender's license, this is out a Well, date. a couple of things <laughs> happened which <laughs> was interesting. One is when I was in college, me and my yeah. buddy would always watch a $20,000 pyramid. Right. And I would play along with this mm-hmm. thing. I said, I think I can beat this thing. So I auditioned to go on this show and I won. So it, twenty that who was hosting then? Uh Dick Clark. That really was he was there then? Oh yeah. And Sandy Duncan was my I have a clip of it. I showed him my one man show. Uh-huh. And uh and I win. Uh-huh. And and so that gave me t- and by the way, I win and I'm just starting at the improv then. So suddenly In New York. I, so yeah, they so, shot it in New York. Yeah. Okay. So suddenly I won this twenty thousand period. So it's like, oh Robert won the twenty thousand dollar period. That's very impressive. Yeah. So uh so that was good. So what was funny is my dad was uh and my mother were vacationing. Yeah. Uh, in Florida, and like I said, my dad up to this point was, you know, very. He, he didn't say anything. About he was didn't know what I was going to do. My mother had been supportive, but that night that it aired, uh, April twenty first, nineteen seventy seven, uh, it was with my mother's birthday. Uh, it aired, and my, everybody who was staying at the hotel who would sit around and watch it with my dad, you gathered everybody around. Yeah, way. yeah. He bought champagne for everybody, right? Yeah, yeah. And he watched it. And I went on TV. And I said, dad, did you place any bets or anything like that? Yeah. And uh, he said that he told his mother that my, my mother that night. Uh, you know, maybe he's just he's going to make it in this business. And he went to bed that night, died in his sleep. Your father that night,
1: yeah. After the twenty thousand, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, it's it's heart that's, that's it's that's heartbreaking. A tough one. Yeah, that was a tough one. In certain ways, however, I have to confess, my dad was a pretty controlling guy. Uh, brilliant, M- The most brilliant guy I knew. Funny as hell, he told great jokes. Yeah. Um, but he was very. T- I mean, he came out of that Greatest Generation thing. Sure. And you know, he would been in. He had been. He actually had been a code breaker. He was. He was on the island of Tinian mm-hmm. uh, as a cryptographer, which is where the Yanola Gay – His commanding officer was yeah. Paul Tibbets, uh-huh. who flew the Yanola Gate. That was his. And my dad was a cryptographer. And I asked him. He, he got a piece of the message. He didn't know what it was. It was something like Little Boy Down. You know? Oh, Wow. Yeah, but when they dropped. Did, it. Yeah, he had no idea what it was. Right. But so he came from that world, and uh, in certain ways, it was very liberating when he died for me because I didn't have to worry about him over my shoulder the whole time, so I could do things. I miss him terribly. I would have been much better off making decisions with him around. but at the same time, you'd make your own life. You know? right. But also there, there's something about the fact that you know there, it,
1: it was a successful not, a note. Yes the, at the it, end. Yeah, well, I mean, right. Like, I went you off know, on a grace
0: note. Yeah. yeah, like he, you know, he went to bed and you. Know, right. He just no. Saw exactly. It. Exactly. No. There is that. There's. There is that. You and know. My he... mother died very shortly thereafter. My dad died at fifty three. My mom died at sixty. Oh, it's very young. Yeah, very young. I mean, my, my They're dead. Uh, my father's dead now, seventy seven. So what is that? That's uh, almost forty years. Wow. And my mom's dead almost. Like How old time. are you? I'm sixty one. So you, and so my mom, I just had my. She died right about a year after we got married, so we just celebrated thirty. So she's down on about thirty and twenty-nine.
1: Wow! And all your siblings are around. They're still? all fine.
0: They're, my brother and sister are fine.
1: And no, no show business for them. No.
0: <laughs> my brother is on Wall Street. Oh yes, he, he is on Wall Street. My sister was a school teacher. Now she lives down in Boca. Oh okay. She hired him.
1: No, that's nice. Yeah. You know, Florida's where you go.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but but that's a pretty touching story. So he he wasn't really able to see the whole evolution. No, of your... he saw my joke being done on the Tonight Show by Rodney Dangerfield. And he saw me win the
1: pyramid. All right. So, okay. So Rodney takes you out here and he introduces you to everybody. And then you go back to New York. You just stay here.
0: I think I went back to New York. Pack up say right exactly. And I come out here in January of 79 and within 2 months I have the lead I have a, I have a uh, a pilot deal at ABC and I have the lead in the movie called The Hollywood Nights. I said, "Oh, this is the way it happens." Huh? Okay, good. I'm, this is fine. This is
1: perfect. So yeah. uh, but at that time so, you know, Larry David's in LA, Riser's still in LA. Everybody from your group is uh, kind of just
0: starting to come out there. Then Larry Larry do not arrived yet.
1: Well, I don't think he came out till late much later. Not right? much
0: later because he does Fridays.
1: Oh that's right. Um, that's right. That wasn't in New York? No, it was here.
0: Huh. The uh he does Fridays. That's not too much later. Um so I came out I was only I was only at the improv about a year, less than a year.
1: In New York. Yeah. So you'd Christ, only been doing comedy at, how
0: long? About a year. Really, that's all I did. It was actually I came out. I did really developed an act very quickly and very, uh, and it went very well. And I was working my ass off. So I would do three shows a night. I'd do every club, and I was just. Home. It, 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 uh, I think who was the Larry Miller, who was another one, and Jerry called me the Machine. Yeah, and just said I just, just went out there. I was just very tunnel focused. I mean, I, great. I mean, I was just.
1: We had a very. I mean, I remember seeing you then because you were intense. Yeah. you were sweaty. Yeah, it was a mile a minute. Yeah, and you just kept hitting.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And did you do comedy out when you got out here? Well, yes, yeah, sure I did. Now the thing was that I um, realized that back then, okay, I my whole gameplay wasn't to do the Tonight Show. That wasn't the be all and end all for me. It was Johnny Carson the Tonight Show? Okay. It was a great avenue, yeah, to do everything because it was a Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Can't negate that. But because the guy, I think his name was Jim McCauley, was the Booker. The Booker, by, yeah, and, and he was doing his job, I suppose. Um, because he wanted you know his job was to what does Johnny like? To yeah. To be fair. And I don't know if Johnny saw me, didn't like me, baby, be b- I don't know. But for whatever reason, I wasn't getting on the tonight show with Johnny Carson as much. But and I said, Well, I can't build I don't I'm not gonna let that do my career. I mean that's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. At the same time, Merv Griffin adored me. Right. And I went on his show. And Merv doesn't get the credit he deserves because Merv broke a you know had comics on much before Johnny. Johnny would have him on when when they were already he'd seen him and you know he would you know with the exception of maybe Letterman, right? prior right? All these guys were on Merv Griffin much before
1: Johnny. Well, yeah, no, I remember seeing them after school on Merv Griffin. I saw Leno on Merv Griffin. I saw a lot of people on Merv, and then you see Prior on
0: Merv Griffin and everybody. And then you sit in the chairs, right? Right, exactly. So. Anyway, so Merv was great. He gave me a, a, a contract that I was on every month for like three years. Wow. So I had to come up with material. So you had to go out and do it. Right, exactly. So um, Did you tour? Yeah, sure. I did all the clubs, absolutely. And then I was, you know, I, and then because uh, after Hollywood Nights, that comes out. And uh, it wasn't like I got a lot of film work. I didn't get any film work for a couple of years, uh, and then so I was touring and writing. You know, I was always writing. But it did
1: it, did, it popped up your uh, your visibility. Yes, your, your, yeah. They your could book me as New
0: Bomb Turk from Hollywood Nights and stuff like that.
1: Right, and that was sort of like that was on the on the on the. It came after Animal House,
0: right? Yes. See, the thing about Hollywood Nights, it comes out. Hollywood Nights comes out in 1980. It's a cross between, as they wanted to say, American Graffiti and Animal House. Right. That's how they sold it. Right. And what's interesting is that it was one of the first movies when HBO starts to become popular. They started they put ammo they put Hollywood nights on uh-huh. it and they ran the shit out of it. Yeah. So people and fathers would watch it with their sons. I hear that all the time. You know, my right. dad used to watch it with me. Yeah. What's interesting now is it's a generation later yeah. and when it comes on the sons Who've Watch now it. grown up? I watched it with my father. Or watching it with their sons, right? You know, so that's kind of cool. Yeah, uh, there was a there was a punk rock band named New Bomb Turk. My character's name. Uh, it, it was very cool. So so that so I'm writing all during that time at all at the same time I hooked on. Um, I remember the line, "I've had this taste in my the, mouth before." A little wang to it. You got he, a little wang to it. Right. Hey, yeah, yeah. Who you peed, in the, you the, he, uh, you peed in the punch? Right, yeah. and uh, at the same time in like. In the early 80s also at the same time I did Hollywood nights the Zucker brothers came and saw me because they wanted me to audition for airplane Yeah, I didn't get the part, but then they started this TV series called police squad and they asked me to be a writer on it So I did that for the two months that we had the job because they took it right off the air But it was a great, you know, it was a great again the whole you know one experience learns to another but
1: it's interesting because you know again when you have a generation of comics and, you know, you you went to movies, you know, you adapted to movies quicker and, and pr- really probably uniquely out of that generation uh, uh, in a way that was very successful. And a lot of those guys didn't. Was there any sort of weird sort of tension of like, you know, well, you know, Robert's getting away from comedy or, you know, he's not never doing it.
0: Never thought about it. I, yeah. I don't, th- I don't think ever. I never wanted to be an all time stand up comic. I mean, yeah. that was never a goal of mine. To me, I was using stand up comedy as an. I came from theater. So to me, but I had this huge background in film, and I love comedy. But you
1: loved Rodney Dangerfield, and you I knew, love comedy. You knew the game. I knew
0: every comedy. I mean, I could tell you the routines of Pryor and, yeah. and, uh, and Pryor and and Klein yeah. and, and Alan King, who is very overlooked now. People forget how great Alan King was.
1: He's kind of an, a dick. He might have been a dick, but you, when you watch him, <laughs> yeah. you
0: watch the routines.
1: Well, he was very important for for sort of uh, updating and moving. The Jewish sensibility to the suburbs—that you know—that you now had more to, than you know,
0: that. The anger when he would go. Remember, people forget. I survived like, by his wife. That's a great routine. But up to the moment he would come on and go yeah. after the airlines, yeah, and go after the insurance companies, yeah. and name names, yeah. and get sued, and they would drop all the suits, and he would go and you realize how, this is ballsy. Yeah, that he would go after stuff like that. Yeah. you know, so so he doesn't
1: uh, get the respect he deserves. No, not from a
0: comedic standpoint. For, no, from, yeah, he could be tough. There's no question about it. I remember one time I was doing, uh, I was working in Atlantic City. Uh, and we were—I was doing the top. There were two shows a night. It was uh, I was opening for I think Melissa Manchester mm. in the or the Temps or something like that. Yeah. The first show, and he was doing the second show. Yeah. So we'd switch dressing rooms, and everything. Right. And he sees me, and he—I'm with my college, my. Um, you know, childhood friend. He says, "Come on into the room." And Alan could drink, so Alan gin, right? Oh, I forgot
1: what he Yeah, called. yeah, yeah.
0: So Alan starts pal- and starts telling me all his business details with yeah. my buddy. He says, "They wanted me to do this for 30000 I said, so, "What am I going to do?" I go, "I got my kid here. Doing what do I give a shit about you?" But he just went on and just opened up. Okay, Somebody's talked to him. But okay, so I came, so I came, yeah. so I came from, because of my background in theater. My Where did ba- you do that in college? Yeah, but I always loved theater. Yeah, I always loved theater, Uh and I love structure. You know, I was into. You know, so uh, because and I was a film, you know, sort of like not a major, but, a, but I'm a film fish yeah, I'm yeah, big time. So I had all this comedy background as right. far as that goes. So I knew, uh, you know, how to do that, you know, so I had a background and that's so when I came out. In fact, because I was successful in films, I think it hurt me a little bit because my ego that I didn't do more TV hmm. because at the end of the day, TV is what's more important. It, that's something it, in terms of
1: making a living.
0: In terms of a lot of everything. Mm. In terms of TV, reaches so many people. Right. You, know, you can be a TV star, but have a bomb film. You go back to do TV, nobody cares. You right. know, you're right. you're in the movies, you have a bomb film. Then you got to start. What, what am I going to do? Yeah. You know. And you uh, felt
1: that happen to you?
0: Well, yeah. But
1: sure. you were in big movies. I, I mean, no,
0: that, that comes later. That comes a little later. Right. Uh, I was very fortunate because there was a period between, let's say, 1981 to about 84 Five. I don't yeah. really work much in films. I did a couple of t- guest stocks on TV. I don't work much. I get a break. Were you, a,
1: was it a nervous time? I mean, I was
0: on the road writing and I was on the doing stand up all the time. I was doing clubs and I was writing. I so you're carry, making a I had a living. This huge K Pro computer with me, yeah. which could never get on an airline anymore yeah. nowadays. Um, and I'd always be writing and stuff. What were you writing? Screenplays, okay, screenplays, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, and uh, TV shows. Yeah, and then
1: uh, any of those get sold and made or a bought. Of them got optioned. Yeah,
0: um, I did an episode of a show called Sledgehammer, mm-hmm. and, th- and I had a couple of writing jobs because I did Police Squad, which yeah. led to I uh, sold an idea to Warner Bros. And then Paramount had me in their wing, which was a great writer's wing. They yeah. had this whole thing they were doing just for a very short period of time. Yeah, great people involved in it though. All who all of whom went on to big things. Yeah, um, and then I get. Barry Levinson had always been a supporter. He always liked my work. Did he see you at the comedy store? Yeah, he had seen me on TV, seen me at the comedy store. He had me audition for a Diner. He had me audition for a lot of stuff and he cast me in Good Morning Vietnam. And that was the beginning because from that now of course I knew Robin forever. And so it was very comfortable. Did you work at the comedy store? Sure, all the time. So you, the were,
1: time. you were you so you were there in the late 70s. Yes. And well,
0: very late 70s. I come in 79. Right. Yeah, so it's so like early 70s,
1: early 80s. So that's when, you know, like Jim Carrey's there and Robin Williams there. Yes. And, and Roseanne Barr is I coming around. I saw Jim around.
0: Carrey, believe it or not, in Toronto. Yeah. I was doing, I think, Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle in Detroit. Uh-huh. And I went to Toronto for something and I saw on a builder, you know, some master of impression, Jim Carrey. So Did you
1: know then? That he was, no, that he was a, no, that some sort of inspired,
0: no, 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 madman of comedy. I'll tell t- you t- t- what's interesting though. Okay, now I went to school at the University of Houston. Yeah. So uh, I went back down there for something, and a bunch of my friends had started the comedy club down there, and of course I had been in the movie. which club? Uh, it was called the Houston Comedy Connection, or maybe uh-huh. something like that. Whatever it's called. Not the Laugh Stop. No, yeah. no, no, no. That was where I was working probably. Yeah. But. Uh, but they had the comedy connection. And my friends were, uh, you know, a guy named Steve Epstein, and he had his friends like Steve Jimmy Epstein. Pineapple. Yes, Jimmy Epi.
1: Pineapple right, and well, Riley Barber. Epi. Right, right,
0: right. Well, Epi and I were college classmates.
1: Oh, okay. Okay, so... And he was part of the original Outlaws. Right, exactly.
0: Uh, so I go down there in like yeah. 1981, yeah. and I see two guys down there,
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, one of whom I had no idea how young he was, was Hicks. Yeah. And Hicks, I said, boy, this guy's 16, kinda...
1: 17. Uh, yeah, Max. Yeah.
0: Right. And the other guy yeah. is Kinison. Yeah. You know, and yeah. the two of them. Right. So that's why I first meet them down there. You know, before they move out here, before anybody, and I go, boy, they're saying something down here. Yeah, yeah. Kind of cool those two guys.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I was at the what's that called, the comedy workshop? Or comedy com- workshop. That's yeah. What it was. That's so what it that was. was your friend's place.
0: Yeah. Because that was it a was pretty of, famous it, place. Yeah, yeah. Was, you know, was, for
1: all of those guys. Yeah. Carl LeBeau, too.
0: Yes. Yes, they were all there. So, um, so then I come back and I get from well, I'm doing stand up. I'm always doing stand up. You know, working gigs, uh, and then I would do. I, I got. Good Morning Vietnam, then I'll audition and get right well, after. Right after I get, um Bull Durham.
1: Burl Durham. But so let's talk about the the Good Morning Vietnam thing because so Levinson, who I think started as a comic sure somehow.
0: Did. Yeah, he was a comedy team with Rudy Deluca.
1: And did you remember seeing them? Oh no, that was before. No. That was early comedy store yeah. stuff.
0: Yeah, that before me.
1: So okay, so Levinson sees you and he casts you in this thing, and you had a relationship with Robin before that. Yes. So you guys could riff together. Yes. And you had a you had yes. a dynamic. Yes. That was a huge movie, Robert. I yeah. mean, that, you, you, you don't get much bigger in movies yeah. Well, that. at that time,
0: Robert had come off a couple of bombs, a couple of failures. What but, was but, it, but, what,
1: Moscow on the Hudson or no, something? No, I think that's... Uh, yeah. is that before or yeah, after
0: I think that might be a... I mean, Popeye was beforehand. Oh, right, right. And the outcome of other that. things. Right, so, so you,
1: you get this gig.
0: Right, get this gig, and it was... It was just fun. I mean, we were all together like a boy's dorm in this hotel. Mm-hmm. and I got to meet the Bruno great... Kirby. Well, Bruno was the best uh, he was he was one of the great. I miss Bruno a lot. He gives my birthday party and we'd had one and I miss him. Uh, Bruno was one of the great human beings. Of yeah, the world. yeah, great human beings. yeah. and then um so we do that and we' are like six, eight weeks there and it was great. And that comes out and it's so it gives you a little leg up. and then I get to meet on uh, on on Bull Durham. Yeah, and I give what Ron Shelton said was the worst. In fact, I called Bruno before the audition. Yeah, I said because the guy only had three lines in the, yeah. in, the, in the in the script, and I said I'm just a pitching coach, and he gave me the, the key to it. He says, he "Goes." It seems to me, Bruno said, "If the manager goes up, he goes up with his pitching coach. He usually takes the pitching coach with him." Yeah. So I said, "I got it. I'm a yes man." Yeah. That's all I had to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I played it like that, and I started improvising during the audition. And Ron Shelton said, "Worst audition I have ever seen in my life." <laughs> I said that was the worst audition I've ever seen. The casting director apologized for bringing me in. He goes, "That's fine." Kyra immediately, he says, "Because what he can bring, I can't get." He goes, "He's going to bring us." And, so, and then that began the relationship with me and Ron Shelton, which led to a couple other projects. And then right after, and then it, before the movie opened up, we were watching *Bull Durham* in the screening, and Tim Burton came to see it. Uh, and the great um, casting director, Marion Dougherty, who was the greatest casting director of all time, she started it, was always a fan of mine. She actually had me audition for George Roy Hill for Garp. Oh, really? Before, but they were going to go with a movie star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, Interesting movie. Yeah. And so she had me, oh, she was always having me in, but she said, I want you to meet Tim Burton. Yeah. And that's when Batman comes. And in your role, were you a reporter? Porter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were always there. It was a very present yeah. role. It was a great
1: gig. It and Keaton
0: is lo- great. The whole movie was a great experience. And I Jack had and I had Jack.
1: That's right. I had Keaton
0: in here. Keaton, he's a sweet guy. Keaton's Keaton's a very interesting guy. Yeah, very interesting. He's <laughs> got a very dark side, you know. It's yeah. like and and he's really I mean, he could it's hard have, on himself. He's very tough. Well, he made decisions that he was very true to himself. Yeah. I'm sure uh you know, he's a Pittsburgh kid. Yeah. And um Wait, do you remember seeing him as a stand-up? Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah so it's we, good. Uh,
0: we knew each other a little bit as yeah. a stand-up. Not much. Yeah. But I saw him a couple of times. In fact, when Tim said we went out when we went out to dinner one time at, in, during in London during Batman, he said, "Who's going to play the uh, reporter?" And he said, "I got this guy Robert Wall." And he'd only seen me a couple of times. And he went, "Perfect." <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean. The uh, and but my, I remember Michael's whole stand-up stuff, and I remember, in fact, we talked about how uh, John Lovitz did a character call remember he was like yeah yeah that's a ticket yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. michael did something very similar to that earlier uh-huh. and i asked him if he ever thought about that he goes yeah i don't know if it's he goes yeah sure i did you know yeah, yeah. Like, oh really yeah yeah because yeah, yeah. Yeah. he was always doing because they were both imitating michael was great at imitating like cagney yeah yeah yeah, yeah, he was yeah right guy, right he, he, he's right. Like, that was his influence right yeah, cagney yeah. and those yeah, guys yeah. so um but michael was wonderful i mean what michael was wonderful i remember the, the shit that flew when they announced michael keaton as batman people think, yeah, that the shit that flew, I yeah. mean, people. The Batman enthusiast said Michael Keaton. He just he'd been a, he'd been in Beetlejuice, and he'd been in Mister Mom. Yeah, and he'd been in night. Uh, he was a great shift. Batman. He was a night shift. Yeah, so he was comic, and they didn't see Batman that way. They saw him like you know, like a Christian Bale type. Yeah, you know? it's like darker you know, before. I don't, I don't know. I, I arguably he's one of the best Batman. Uh, yeah. Well, what happened was they d- didn't know Michael. Number one. Number two is I went and saw Clean and Sober that movie. Oh, jeez, that was rough. That How first good movie. Is he.
1: Great! How good is he? That, in that opening movie? scene where he wakes up with the dead girl—that—that—that that, that was you genius. Know
0: so uh, that movie was so good. I said he's going to be great. So okay. So when you do something like—and um... then after Batman, then Batman was so big. So that's when it really—you know—that's when I. That's when, you know, things became. That's when you, you know, became, you became a guy. You're a made guy. You became in now. the you're you're making a living now. You're making you're doing okay.
1: Yeah, and what, so did did you did you talk to Jack Nicholson? Did you? Oh, yeah,
0: all the time. Jack was the greatest. Really? I used to drive in and out of the set because the set was about an hour away. Yeah. And, you know, hanging out with Jack a few times I did was the greatest thing of all time.
1: Right. Just as almost like a fan as a kid, you know. Like well, it,
0: first of all, he's incredibly smart. Yeah. And and a great storyteller. He was one of the great raconteurs of Uh all time. uh He would say, you know, girl comes up to me at the the dance and the other day she says, You wanna dance? I said, wrong verb He would tell me stories about, uh, 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 yeah. you know, he goes, so one day, and this is years ago, and I'm cooking up Princess Margaret. Oh, my God, he, yeah. But he would tell stories about, I met John Wayne one time. Yeah. It was right after Easy Rider or Five Easy Pieces. Yeah. We're in an elevator. Yeah. And I'm there. Yeah. And doors open, the duke comes on with his guys. Yeah. And I see him, the guy's whispering yeah. into the duke's ear. And he says, as he gets out, he goes, "I hear you're an actor." I <laughs> go, "Yes, sir." And he goes, "Talk low, talk slow," <laughs> and he walks out. He goes, "That's what the guy says to me." He goes, "That's what the guy said." But I'll tell you, nobody talks slower than I <laughs> do. <did. laughs> I mean, he was the best. I mean, he was. there was, oh, there was nobody like Jack. You're so smart. Yeah, anytime I had a question about doing something, I go to Jack for advice. Always, yeah. always. Did you like
1: like these relationships that you built at this time? I mean, do you, I mean, have you talked to them lately? I haven't talked to them, but when we run into each other. Um, uh, you know, yes, Just fond we, things. Right, right. right. I and mean, like with uh, with Larry and those guys, did you the comic friendships? Did those still hold up? I always, when I see Larry, yes. I mean,
0: I'm not. Uh, Is it interesting? Like I was that, ne- By the way, I wasn't in the group that tight. Although I started with those guys, I wasn't really the one hanging out in the diners with all those guys together because right. I was going out to another gig or doing something else. Right.
1: Um, so you were kind of you you're out busting your balls and they yeah, were staying in the more, city,
0: Yeah, you know, a little bit more like that. Yeah.
1: Okay, so I would assume that after Good Morning Vietnam, then the, the heat's on you, right? I mean, you're like this guy, right? I
0: mean, I, I, it was good because I got went from that to Bull Durham to Batman, so that threesome really helped. And then a what lot. happens after? Well, that? what happens after that is I do uh, a movie called Missing Pieces that went nowhere. Not a lot of fun. I did it with Eric Idle. That was a good gig, but uh-huh. a terrible movie. And then I wanted to do my own movie. I wanted to write and direct. And so I put a lot for about two years. I put a lot of effort into that and money into that. And I did that. And what I, movie was a that? Called Open Season, uh-huh. which was a little uh, satire on the ratings industry. Uh-huh. And a great experience for me. But the movie went nowhere. Got nice reviews. If you look up, um, if you look up, like Jeffrey Lyons, not Jeffrey Lyons. Uh, who's the guy? Who's got the 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 TV book with all the movies. Malton Leonard Malton. He gives me this glowing re- three star review. Um, and then, right after that, was that heartbreaking for you, though? or you are you in a, tough, a you're tough, in yeah. a mindset? Yeah, it was tough, right. Yeah, you don't see anything. Go go disappear after two in a years. Movie. That, that, it disappears in a weekend.
1: It amazes me the commitment people have to
0: movie. This movie took six years to make. I'm like, how the fuck do you it commit? Took about to- Ten years to write, and then and then and then it, and then it disappears in a weekend. How do you commit to that? It's tough. Well, you don't plan on it. It just happens. The and then at the same time, um, as I'm doing that, right after I finish that, I do Cobb. With yeah. uh, Tommy Lee Jones. Great Ron, that's Ron great. Shelton and I yep. talked about doing that. So, you're, you're a baseball so, guy. Yeah. Yeah. OVI, yeah. We're both baseball guys. Yeah. But that was just a great story. So, right after that, so I knew the Cobb was going to open, but. Did I, all right, right? Not
1: bad. Oh, really? ter-
0: terribly financially. Yeah. Uh, the, but right after that, I had written a pilot. Before that, I'd written the, the, uh, the pilot for Arles. Mm-hmm. And that changed a lot of things because that's a TV series and it was on HBO and it was Albrecht. You know, so... Chris, you, your old buddy from well, the what, what happened was that Chris Albrecht had, had risen through the you know, from, being a ma- from being a comic. Remember, Chris starts as a comic. He was part of a comedy team, Albrecht and Zamuda, comedy from A to Z. Bob Zamuda. Yeah, huh. A to Z, comedy. Yeah. So that team, when Bud moves out to the West Coast, he sells, he says, Chris, forget of being a comic, you should be a manager. Yeah. So he sells Chris a piece of the, of, of the club, and Chris manages the club. He puts me on stage. So uh, I always delivered for him. Yeah. So Kristen becomes an agent, and then he be- gets over at HBO. Mm. And he, we, he, I write the pilot for Arliss, and We rewrote it, and F- Michael Fuchs at the time would not give me a green light. He was
1: ahead of HBO. He was ahead
0: of HBO. Would not give me the green light for the show. Why? You know, because he had done First and Ten. That was the first series at HBO, which was with O.J. Simpson of all people. Yeah, and Delta Burke, and it was like a TNA thing and they were sort of embarrassed by it uh-huh. and he thought here comes another sports thing and I yeah. go, this is not going to be that uh-huh. and um so he gets fired and Chris says I don't know anything about sports but I trust Robert and I th- and I think this is funny so he gave me the go-ahead and then we were on there for seven seasons of course we were always the stepchild there but you know we developed a huge why uh, because uh, Carolyn came in and you know were- Carol was always there the reason we were a stepchild is that a was sports. That I learned that you huh. know, that the people have a great antipathy. There's a certain part of the peop- population, especially the critical population in sports, uh, who have a great antipathy towards sports. Uh-huh. Sports it wasn't as big now then as it is now. Right. Uh, that's number one. Number two is. Uh, we just became it because then they had Step, uh, Sex and the City came on and then they had Sex and the City and they had The Sopranos Yeah, and they had uh uh Six Feet Under so and it's sort of was, a heyday for oh a this day. was the heyday Yeah, and we were the first one out of the box but we were always and they kept moving us we were never in one position at the same then finally they put us after Sex and the City and whereas we people say well that doesn't make sense putting these and I go just leave it there and what happened was that whereas in the beginning we would get like 27% women and 63% male by the end of the run 7 years later we're 53% women because I knew I had Sex in the City ahead of me getting these huge numbers I I didn't want to lose any more of the audience than I had it was a basically female audience so I pushed the part of Sandra Oh as as Rita, the secretary, and I pushed her character, and I knew she was my conduit to that. So I gave her a larger role, and that and that worked. And then people got into the show, like the Fran Lieberwitz story, and uh, and that was just great. I mean, that was but that's very clever political thinking on your part. That's real show business thinking. Well, that's just smart thinking. I mean, it's just if I got if I got an audience here, if I lose that audience, they're going to move me again. Do you but know, it's it's
1: interesting when the creative force makes those decisions, and not some executive who's just winging it. Like, if somebody came to you and said... It made the show better. Oh, well, that's great, but, but it also came from you. But I, yeah. I wonder if somebody said, we need more of the girl, in that moment, would you be like, that's not what the show's
0: about? No, 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 no I, I, maybe, maybe, yeah. I don't know, I don't know but, but, I didn't, but it wasn't about that. She was a character in the world of sports, as far as I was because what's interesting is one of the big agents, who yeah. uh, sports agents in town here who helped me, his assistant actually went to high school with me. Uh, now I didn't see I didn't base anything on the character on that, but I just said, "What's her life like? What's her? Story? It'd be like it's like Peggy in Mad Men." Yeah, do you know it's? Uh, 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 yeah, I get it. Yeah, but you, but when you found yourself
1: in this situation where you you know you're doing these big movies and you had a, a few uh, you know other people's movies that go didn't go well and you had this horrendous disappointment with your own movie that you know in those times.
0: You know what? What propelled you not to crumble? I mean, you know, I have to. Well, I was working. I, I remember that was the hardest thing I ever did was we're doing Arlis because we, first of all, unlike again the step but before
1: Arliss, I mean, you you had this movie two years into it and then it craps out. How how are you not we like were already? Oh, we, we
0: were already shoot, about to shoot the pilot, so I didn't have time to. and I knew. Oh that. well, yeah, that was yeah, a, fortunate. Time. That was fortunate. So you didn't it have it. A, a
1: dark period of like, what the fuck am I doing? Right, right, right. Do you know what I mean? Right. Right. It's, it crapped out on me.
0: Right, 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 right. We was just got to keep going. I mean, that's 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 one thing about being sports and when you're in sports, especially baseball. Yeah, baseball. Baseball is a very long season. Yeah. I use analogies like this. Yeah. Baseball, unlike football, which we got, it's like baseball is 162 games. Yeah, you another game yeah. got another game tomorrow. Yeah, you got another game tomorrow. It's like I would go on the road. I remember I, f- I forgot the name of the, the the female comic I was with, and she was we were on the road together, uh-huh. and she was bummed out after a set she had done. Yeah, and I said, what are you all bummed out about? You got another, t- you got another show tomorrow." And she goes, "I go, you, got, you just got to let it go, and you know, work for the next show." And she said, I can't believe oh, I hope I never have that attitude to take. I said, it's the only attitude to take. I said, otherwise you're <laughs> going to drive yourself crazy. Now, I, I mean, I'm mean, i not saying you shouldn't make the corrections, make the adjustments, but yeah, don't beat yeah, yourself yeah. up. you got another show tomorrow. Huh. You know, it's like you, you get the rest of the week to worry Yeah, but it.
1: I'm not sure. I don't think that way, and I think it's very good advice what you're giving, but I, I think that there's something about the comedic sensibility or, or fundamental insecurity that, you know, some of us get a lot out of beating the shit out of ourselves.
0: Yeah, well, we all do. I yeah. mean, that, that that goes with this, the, the nature, but it yeah. is a profession. See, again, it goes back to my father running a business. Okay. See, it's the other thing, too, is if I come from, like, I always make jokes that my father was Republican, my mom was a Democrat, you know? It's like, so I, I, I see both sides. I know both sides politically are full of shit, yeah. but I understand running a business and you know, the, the, you know, it's show business, the artistic side versus the business side. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, that's the balance. And, and, of course, the baseball thing is great because you have to do another show tomorrow. No matter how good the show is today, you got to do another one tomorrow. Yeah. You know, so, and, and the people won't care. But it's it's exactly
1: that struggle that, you know, you and I have both seen people that crumble. And it's exactly we all do it. Yeah, it, it, you you can't help but carry your influences. Sure, yeah. I look at early parts of myself, and I'm like, you know, I thought I was Hicks, and you know, or I, I you know I was influenced you, by that. You
0: talked about me in the beginning, mile a minute. It was Rodney. It was Woody. It was Alan King. Again, it was you know I can see all of them. Yeah. Know? Until you develop your own style,
1: yeah, I I couldn't see those in you really. I mean, now,
0: right? Not now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not now, but you could early for sure. Okay, so you know you had the arc with Arliss, right? And then Arliss happens, and Arliss is incredibly hard work, but Arliss is the best gig of all time because I'm making a movie a week. I'm yeah, making little movies,
1: and it was great. So that that winds down, and then and then
0: we're, 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 what are you confronted with? Then you confronted. What are you doing next? <laughs> What am I going to do next? You got a game tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. I got a <laughs> game. I got to figure so out what the game is, you know, and then I come I guess that's with, the hardest part about your analogy, isn't it? What yeah, we got, we, where we, is the game? Yeah. <laughs> so I so I did so I did some stand up and I didn't want to do it because I I'll, I'll I stopped doing stand up for the most part cuz I just hate drunks. Yeah. <laughs> I got to tell you. Yeah. I don't like dealing with drunks. Yeah. I don't like being around drunks for the yeah. most part. I just yeah. don't like I don't drink. Yeah. So I I just don't like drunks for the most part. Right. So I came. I was with Albrecht, and I said, "Chris, I got an idea about doing something with history." Mm-hmm. I said, "I could do something with history where I could make and then bring it to today." Yeah. And so he says, "Okay." He goes, "The one thing I know about this is you cannot develop this show. You just got to shoot it." Yeah. It's like develop a stand-up act. Yeah. So I came up with this idea, and I started workshopping these monologues all around Los Angeles. I told the kids at the colleges. If you stay and listen to me for an hour afterwards, I'll give you free pizza. So we would come in with the pizza. And so you come, you go to classes. I would go to college classes all the time, and basically, I'm building. It was my, that was my comedy clubs. I was building the monologue, and uh-huh. then I shot this thing called "Assume the Position" with Mr. Wall.
1: Right, right. I saw it, that it was which, great. It, it, but but, what,
0: what, what, tell me about this workshopping process. So I, what, I would, would you, go. We would. We would. We would Put together material uh-huh. and graphics and stuff. Who'd like you that. call? Who'd you call to say, Can I, Well, I, take I hired the- a kid to produce it. I had my well, had my partners. It was a couple of people wrote on it. Alan Steven was one guy who wrote on it. Alan Steven, I, I remember him
1: from the comedy yeah, store.
0: Yeah, Alan worked on those, the first one. Uh, Rebecca Reynolds, who I knew from Oralist and I knew from the improv. Uh-huh. And then I hired a kid who was suggested to me by HBO, a 23 year old kid to produce named Will Reiser, mm-hmm. who, um, in the middle of this, a uh, great kid, and in the middle of the first show, Gets sick, and he develops cancer. And I couldn't believe it. And he says, oh, yeah, yeah, because I got something on my back or something. It's really weird. And I go, do you know what it is? No, I, got, I think they're going to biopsy it. And he says, so his girlfriend... His girl, he's got to go to Cedar Sinai and be there at six o'clock in the morning. His girlfriend lives across the street who's an actress. Uh-huh. And he says, Listen, I got to be here at six o'clock in the morning. I'm going to crash at your house tonight. And she says, You know, I got an audition in the morning. Might not be a good idea. Here's a guy going in for cancer surgery. Good girlfriend. And the actress says, I got an audition tomorrow. Yeah. More story. Yeah, he ha- he's fine. He has to do everything else. I said, you know, Will, you want to write about this a little bit, right? He writes a screenplay called "I'm with Cancer." Yeah, but his best friend is Seth Rogen. Yeah, they get the idea. They, they do it, and it becomes 50-50 It's a good movie. It's a very good movie. Yeah, that's, I liked but, it. that's a story of Will. Yeah, and of course, he made the girlfriend a little bit different. By the way, the girlfriend now is on the. He says, "My girl, the you only know that girlfriend?" He goes, "She's doing well. She's on the new uh, Chris Chris Guest Show." Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So we do that, and what happens is we were going to shoot a ten-minute presentation pilot or a fifteen-minute presentation pilot for HBO. Uh-huh. But, but how do you organize the, the colleges? I mean, you just, you talk to a teacher or no, you No, know, No, Will you... would go ahead and they'd find out we'd go to a community college, we'd go to USC, we'd yeah. go to UCLA. And I'd basically be sitting in a room just talking. Yeah. And seeing what are they responding to? What do they know? What don't they know? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because I can't do something, I can't tell a story about history and saying, but what you don't know is if you don't know the story to begin with. Right. You can't say, well, here's a story, but what you don't know. <laughs> you so, know that, yeah, doesn't right. work. that doesn't work. So what was the angle of the. The, the angle was that history was pop culture. Uh huh. And I could show how pop culture is history it affects history through through the i I told the story about christopher columbus and the world is round i told the uh paul revere story about how paul revere gets credit for something he didn't do yeah and just just stuff like that and having fun and and having a point because otherwise i'm just you know debunking myths which wasn't my point right so we the point was in a broad sense to to get people engaged with history right and so what i did we did was we wound up I, i worked with I went to Sheila Nevins, who was sure. a documentary the person do- at yeah, HBO, who I've known yeah. forever. She put me in touch and with the Penny Bakers, the great D.A. Penny Baker.
1: The documentary, documentary guys. And yeah. so
0: we went to NYU. Yeah. And we just, I said, you know, if, we can, if we're going to do a 10 minute pilot, if I'm going to shoot 10 minutes, I might as well shoot 30. I mean, yeah, shoot yeah. 40. Yeah, just shoot 40. So we thing. shot it. So we shot like 45 minutes, 40 minutes in real, in a real, it was NYU, you know, we did two or three shows. Uh-huh. We cut them together because as long yeah. as I wore the same outfit, I sure. knew con- continuity would never be a problem. Yeah. And so we cut together, and everybody said, This is really good. This is really good. And Chris says, Chris sees and goes, It's really good. I don't know what to do with it. I go, Chris, put it on the air. We never cleared anything. Yeah. So I had to want to get clearances. I go, Put it on the air. It's a special. Just put it on the air. They put it on, and it's the best reviewed thing I've ever done in my life. I mean, every to this day, people stop me left and right about it. So he goes, do another one. I want to see. He goes, can you do a series of this? I go, Chris, there's a lot of history. <laughs> yeah. So, so he said, can you do another one? So I do the second one. Yeah. Just before it airs, Chris gets fired, has the incident in Las Vegas and gets fired. The new regime yeah. comes in, and it's, again, the best. Re- the, the research report, they, re- they, you know, research, they test everything. The research reports on these shows, is the best research report you've ever seen in your life. It's yeah. In the as I say the top 2 boxes of like 89% in every demographic ca- category. Yeah. So, but the new regime comes in, this isn't their business model, they don't want to do it. So, now I said Is oh, that when it's... Carolyn stepped up or yeah, how did that well, work? Well, okay, it wasn't Carolyn because- no, it wasn't- it's really a temporary Carolyn. thing. Yeah, but it was, they hired the new regime. It was Michael Lombardo and the right. whole people and they're, they're good and they're still my friends. Yeah. Uh, and I have this deal with them, you know, so at the time, but they just never went ahead and, with Green Little. I'm still trying to get this thing because every day of my life somebody stops me about this show. So, I've been trying to do that for a while now to get that to another network. And they each have, you'd think the History Channel, but they, they don't really do that. They do Duck Dynasty. You yeah. Know, they do, that's not really, Garbage. History Channel has very yeah, little to yeah. do with history. Yeah. And um, and so, then I, I, I turned it into a one-man show. Yeah. We went down to La Jolla and did it with the artistic department there. So, we've been doing that. I still tour with that. Uh-huh. And, that and now, I just wrote a play that just had its premiere in New York. What a, a, a romantic comedy, a screwball romantic comedy called huh. Hit Lit. H I T L I T, which is a mistaken identity comedy. It's a satire on publishing, uh-huh. and I got again great review, So we're gonna. Looks like we're gonna be moving it within the next year or so to Broadway or in some way, shape, or form. Really? So so I got to direct that. So that was great, and uh, so that's that's pretty much you know that's pretty much it up to now I guess.
1: So that's it. But it's very exciting that you know you're a guy like I don't talk to a lot of guys like this that. You know, you had, you know, a tremendous amount of success, and, and then you just kept plugging along, and then you had another different thing happen for yourself, and then you, you tried something that, you, you've you tried things that didn't work out, and you just keep pushing,
0: and you're excited. You have a very good disposition
1: about this shit.
0: You have to. I mean, believe me, you know, if my wife would tell you other stuff, me, me bitching and moaning and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But what's the option? I mean, what's the alternative? At this point, there's you no know, plan you know, B, right? You know, exactly. You know, I'm not, I'm you know, You know. I, it's, you know. Did you ever think about really teaching? No. no. And, uh, well, I can do. Yes, I, you know, I'm doing the serious radio show. I, know I did a radio show for two years too. I yeah. did a Westwood One sports talk show, uh-huh. which was not a very good experience. In the sense that it was just, you know, I like sports. I don't want to talk about it
1: all the time. That'll ruin it. For, that'll ruin anything uh, for you.
0: I, you know, if it, well, if it was movies, I could deal with that. Sure. Uh, if I could do a, a, an eclectic show like a Charlie Rose thing, I'd love that. Right, but keeping up with stats every day, yeah, and, yeah. and of course, it's all about fantasy football. And uh, I'm not, and I'm not into fantasy not, football, uh, fantasy baseball, thing. yes, uh-huh, but not fantasy football. The uh, I do the show on Wednesday nights on Sirius, which is fun. I do it with a partner, but that's a goof. Yeah. There's no money in that. Yeah. So you go for the next gig. And I put myself into a head now where I said, well, okay, you know, I'm 61, and, you know, the demographics of this business are real. And you just got to do, you know, unlike others, I haven't pissed away the money. Yeah. And uh, so you look for the next project. The next You're day. practical. Yeah, but, but again, my father's business side of this thing. You
1: but know? also, they, I think some people are just like that. You yeah. sort of like, It's a comic sensibility, too. If you don't have a huge ego, it's sort of like, I don't know when I'm going to get the next money.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> true. Yeah, <laughs> something like that, yeah. Youngest, I, I, you uh, know, my, my uh, wife is, is, is great. I mean, we've been married. We celebrated last week. was our 30th wedding anniversary. That's a miracle. You know, uh, and we- you know, I've been with you an hour. I don't know how she does it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. Okay. Yeah. I, I totally get it. <laughs> I, and I have a dog. We have no kids. Yeah. And uh, and we have dogs. Yeah. And we Everywhere the, I travel everywhere with travel everywhere. My dog's been to Paris six times. <laughs> I mean, we go everywhere. I mean, I travel. I love you know. I have a. Where's place that in New York. movie? We have a, a dog day York. in Paris. Where, you're, where, you're, oh, she knows French. Uh, Le <laughs> <she> wolf, <knows French. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> oh. I mean, I've got three generations of yeah. dogs. Yeah, uh, you're a cat person.
1: Yeah, I grew up with dogs. I get yeah, it. I mean, yeah, I mean, you
0: know, I just unconditional yeah. love. Yeah, and, and so I'm, I'm. Oh, I'm also I'm going to re. Um, I, when I did the play the other day, mm. uh, a, a mystery author, mm-hmm. big mystery author, grew up in New Jersey. Yeah. We were born in the same hospital. It turns out we don't know how we found we which hospital Beth Israel Hospital in Newark, New Jersey.
1: I was born in Jersey City, Margaret Haight. Okay, yeah. So
0: the he comes to the show, and I say to him, I, I, it "Looks like I'm going to be adapting one of his books now because I like to do that. I love adapting stuff. I, I, I'm good at that. I'm good at putting together puzzles, like Rodney said, uh-huh. and adapting. So it's it's very cool. I'm looking forward to that.
1: Now you know, you, keep, you know, Rodney seems to be this current through your spirit. You know, I like, go, because you refer to like you know, what
0: Rodney said, you know, you're good at puzzles. Do you miss guys like that? I mean, do you ever think about it? Well, you miss, Remember, I mean, everything's so generational. Uh, when you're younger, your influences are all over the place, are easy, you don't have the responsibilities. I miss Rodney, sure, I mean, I just miss Rodney for-
1: Did you for keep fun. up with him through the whole yeah, time? Yeah,
0: always, always. In fact, I spoke to him, he said, um, somebody told me I was the last, when he, I visited him in the hospital, he was in a coma, and I left a note that uh. I was there. I spoke to him before he went in for the last operation on uh. the phone. And he said he goes, and I said, how long are you supposed to be in there? He goes, well, the depends. If everything goes well, about a half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, and, and he says, you like that one, huh? go, goes, yeah, maybe I'll use that one. And, and my funny friend, David Permit, who was with him constantly, yeah. said, that was the last joke. He uh, said, that was the last joke before he went in. Uh, yeah, I missed, you know. It's funny Rodney was on camera. He was funnier off camera. Because Rodney had opinions. Rodney had, you know, Rodney yeah. had everything. Rodney would... Um, uh, and he would tell stories about uh, you know Joe you know, and because yeah. uh, his relationship with Ansis was crazy. You know, Joe was a clean freak. Yeah, you know he was germ phobia. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, total germphobia. Yeah. And, and Roddy would say the most outrageous stuff, And but he had a thing for black girls. Uh-huh. Joe Answers had a big thing for black girls. Uh-huh. And Dangerfield would say, how can you figure out... How, you, 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 you use and of course, Rodney was didn't have a filter. Right. Roddy was old school, so he'd yeah. call anybody anything yeah. names. Yeah, 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 And he'd say, how do you figure out Joe Answers? He goes, you know, he washes his hands 15 times. You have to go into the bathroom and then go south on Schwanzes.
1: Go <laughs> <laughs> south on Schwanzes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> It's a little he, wrong, but you know, I mean, it's generational. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. totally generational. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he always called them whores. Yeah. They were never whores. They were whores. Who was. Who was. He told me a story about when he would go to... Um, one thing, would go up to the Catskills and he would go in with Lenny Bruce. And he said his mother was crazy, you know, Sally. Yeah, He'd say she'd yell out of the base, you know, we'd be ready to get in the car and he goes... And she'd yell out, make sure my kid gets laid too! <laughs> you know? Yeah. By the way, um, I'm sure you're a uh, film freak. Uh when was the last time if you've ever I'm sure you've seen the, the Stanley Kubrick film The Killing. Yeah. Okay. The next time you watch it, which I sort it's of one of my favorite movies. Okay. Do you remember the scene where Stanley Sterling Hayden yeah is staying in that flea bag motel and he's like and he put that's where he gets the gun he keeps the gun there and everything it's just in the middle of nowhere I don't yeah. Know what it's, yeah. He gets out and you'll see across the street there is a theater. Yeah. And it's like a burlesque house. Uh-huh. And you can just see him as he gets out and he, he dumps this money into a bag and he, He's putting it into a car. In the background, you see a burlesque house and it says, also appearing Lenny Bruce. On, 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 on You'll see it's in the, it would be like, you know, one of these things. Yeah, just far pull, away, yeah. Yeah, but it's clear as a bell. It's clear as a bell, you can read it. But it had to be somewhere like a Western or something like uh-huh. that. And probably not even Western. That's too nice. You know, but it was like something like that. And I said, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's very cool. That's a great yeah, tidbit. Yeah, watch it next time. You, you'll see you see it. It comes up twice in the movie.
1: That's that moment. It's outside the motel. I'm going to look for that. But that moment when that money starts blowing away. Oh, that's a great movie. And when when uh when I don't remember what the woman says, but you know, are we going to run for it or and He goes, What difference is it
0: yeah, no, that's a great. The killing. Uh, I show it to my uh, a couple of my nephews who are really into film. It's great because uh, it's, it makes appreciation because they see Pulp Fiction and you can tell where Pulp Fiction playing with time comes from. Right is is the killing.
1: Yeah, it's an amazing, it's a movie. terrific, and it's movie. like it's not. You know, it was a studio thing that he did, so it doesn't really you know, always fall into the 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 Kubrick. No, uh, no.
0: Well, which is interesting because I I got into a discussion one time with. Uh, um, It was after, I was writing the Oscars, you know. I went through that period where I wrote wrote with Billy Crystal a bunch, we jumped over that. Uh, How was that? You guys still friends? Yeah, friendly, we're not, yeah, yeah, friendly. The, uh, uh, what happens, my career didn't, went to a little bit of a dive, That's they all do. When was that, before Arliss? It was, before Arliss, yes. Yeah. But it was was it after Batman, before Batman? I remember it was right. No, Batman's before, so it's like the late eighties. Okay, yeah. anyway, I, I was the period, like mid to late eighties. Yeah, what happened was again, you never know what gig you are going to get. Yeah, so my the time where George Shapiro and Howard West, and at the time, Carl um, Reiner's wife, uh, what was it, Estelle? Yeah, had a cabaret act. Yeah. And Carl was looking for a opening act. He was going to yeah. be at the, oh, what was the name of that club on Santa Monica Boulevard, the upstairs place? I don't remember. So. Yeah. Gardenia Room, I think yeah. it is. So, looking for an opening act to do thir- 25, 30 minutes, yeah. 20 minutes or so. Before Estelle. Yeah. Yeah. And and George Shapiro's Carl's George's, nephew. Right. George yeah. shows him my take. Yeah. Carl says he'll be fine. Yeah. So I go and I say, okay, do I want to do this? So mm. and so. Okay, I'll do it. So I do it. I do my act. And the opening night, of course, I, I didn't put two and two together. Yeah. Opening night, I walk out there, and there's Mel Brooks, and there's Anne Bancroft, and there's Chris Guest, and yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis, and Billy Crystal, and uh, Dick, she- you know, every, every, every one of them, Carl Reiner, uh-huh. and it's like, they're all there. And it, it goes really well. A couple of weeks later, David Steinberg, who I knew, a couple of, I knew forever, yeah. uh, calls me and goes, hey, Billy's hosting the Grammys this year. You want to write with him? I said, sure. So we started writing together. And it was just the two of us and we did three years of the Grammys and then we get the call to do the Oscars and again it was when we first did it it was just me and Billy yeah. that was it yeah. and then we added Bruce Valanche and then Mark Shaman who did the songs yeah. that was it and then we were there for the you know, the Jack Palance thing and all that and so that was great fun so uh so, again, you never knew where a gig could take you. I've always been a believer of that pretty much, though. Uh, work breeds work. Yeah. You never know, because I would have never gambled that to develop my relationship with Billy to do that I, because that, I won two Emmy Awards. and It wasn't because of me, you know, although I did my job. I loved working with Billy one-on-one. It was yeah. great. Because was, we only had two writers. It was just the two of us. So you now just, you got 15 writers on there. Yeah,
1: so you just bounce shit off each other. We
0: would bounce shit off each other, and we, we realized early on, Because I have, you know, as you can know, I'm a pretty opinionated guy, and I'd say it's not about the host. That's the problem with the show now. This is the problem with the show. They've made it. The host makes it about themselves. Mm -hmm. It's not about you. Yeah. It's not when you do that, you're dead. Yeah. You do your thing and welcome everybody. Do a couple of jokes up front. Get the show going. Yeah. Don't do pieces in the middle of the show. It then it becomes about you, and it's not you. Yeah. And you got to remember that's a now. In fairness to all the hosts, very difficult show to do. You got to remember you tough crowd. It's an incredibly tough crowd because you got to remember most of these people have never been in front of a camera before. Forget the actors; yeah. that only makes up ten percent of them. Right? Everybody else is the crew members and everything else. They've spent a fortune and More
1: representations.
0: Than well, mostly, but, but all the people who are nominated, remember, they're all you got five in each category. Yeah. So you got they got between their between their wives and everything. That's ten. It costs a fortune to go to the Oscars. Yeah. They have to get the their gowns and everything else. Yeah. And the other thing is also is with each category. Uh, that goes by uh-huh. you got four losers who uh-huh. are pissed off oh, yeah I'm pretending not to be pissed off yeah and it, and then they want then there's a bar so they start yeah, to get drenched yeah. so with each category that goes by you got 80% more who are losers right <laughs> you know, they want to get out of there <laughs> because you can't pee. You sit there for hours. and People don't realize how pissed off people are there. They want to get out of there. Yeah. And so and it lasts it's three like hours. 20, it could be 20 people with every loose who wants to get out. Exactly. Of it's, you know, it's at least, they're up for At multiple, least four. Multiple. But a lot of times you can have like three or four people in a category, and especially in the crafts category. Yeah. So you've got all that and you got their people up there. Yeah. You know, and they've got bought tickets for it. It costs a lot of money. Yeah. So they just want to get to the party. They want to get drunk. They want to go pee and everything. Yeah. So it's a tough, tough crowd to do. It's a tough show to do. The Oscars themselves, and I'm a member of the Academy. It's very difficult because they won't see. I always treat it as the way to treat this show is you are coming to our party. Yeah. Don't make it a. You got to make a decision. Are you making it a TV show or are you making it an awards presentation? Yeah. You have to make that distinction. Uh huh. You know, and it's very difficult because I always felt as a kid I was sneaking up to watch the. the, Well, now there's so many of them. It's different, but. It, it's a very tough show to do and you can't get rid of any of the categories because the Academy won't let you yeah I mean nobody cares about uh, uh, You know best short subject by a left-handed Lithuanian. Yeah, you know, but and and my big beef when we talk about comedy Okay, here's where i am going on a soapbox. Yeah, I have been going to the Academy for years saying okay You have a best documentary category yeah. you have a best animated film yeah. category. You got best short subject comedy is a different animal Why don't we have a best comedy? Why don't we? Why don't we have the best comedy? And the true reason that they don't—they'll say this, that, and the other about it. the real reason is because the Golden Globes do it, and God forbid you should take an idea from the Golden Globes if you're in the Academy. And who the fuck gives a shit anymore? Well, it's the other thing to me. It's like a good idea. I don't care where a good idea comes from. Yeah. But the Golden Globes do it. I go and I've talked to like Harvey Weinstein's behind this idea. Ron Howard, from my buddy Tom Sherrick, who was the, the former Academy President just last year, he said he was a marketing guy. He goes from a marketing standpoint, I love it. Are you kidding? If I can put nominate for best comedy on a poster. I go. That's more business. But it might be an issue that you know who the hell knows how many comedies are going to be done in any given year. Still, there's five. There's at least five. You think? Here's the thing. Oh, sure. Here's the thing about comedy. Here's why I get pissed off at critics. Yeah. Everybody agrees who has this half a brain that comedy is more difficult to do than anything else. Yeah. They got to agree to that. I mean, yeah. if you don't, if you don't have half a brain. Yeah. Yet, when you see a critics' ten best list at the end of the year. Yeah. How many comedies are on that list? One maybe two, uh-huh. maybe, uh-huh. yet. Yeah. Then they'll come out with their snarky worst 10 list. There's seven comedies on it. Huh. Oh, there's a Rob Schneider movie and there's an Adam Sandler movie and there's this movie. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wait a minute, they're, they're doing something different. Right. How about the pretentious independent film I just saw? Do you know it goes into deep meaning that is it's such full of shit. Yeah. I mean, they're trying to really make you, think it's like, these are little comedies for nothing. You know, yeah. they're, they're not trying to do anything. Yeah. It's like, so everybody knows comedy, but they agree they can't know how to do it. But, but everybody can put ten, 10 terrible comedies on their list. Right. It's like, so I have this whole thing about comedies and also with critics in general, uh, about uh, movie critics, because you know, I'm i a member of the Academy, so I go to all this stuff. Yeah. And I would say to critics, I go, let me explain something. Guys, you don't go, how many of you actually go to the movies? I see because when you go to a mo- screening, you sit down in your real plush chair. Yeah. And basically, it's roll film. Okay, that's not the way people go to the movies. Yeah. You got to go to the movies. So that two-hour and 15-minute movie you just saw that really should be an hour and 45 (laughs) they'll say "Eh, it should be a little long I go a little long they're all too long (laughs) I go when you go to the movies you gotta get there 10 minutes early to get a seat Yeah, you gotta get parking then you gotta watch 5 or 10 minutes of commercials before the 15 minutes of trailers Yeah. now you're in that theater at least a half an hour to 40 minutes before the movie starts so that 2 hour and 15 minute movie is now a 3 hour movie I go these movies are all too long and it's all because of these egos of the directors and their final cuts yeah I mean, every I mean, all of them, all of them are too long. And by the way, one one of the few, the last few that won Best Picture were not that long. Argo's not very long. The Artist was not very long. Uh, I forgot the one before that was not very long. But all these, all, you know, directors they want their final cut. Hi, did
1: you like Silver Linings Playbook? Yes, love it. Yes.
0: Oh my God, comedy. Yeah,
1: comedy, absolutely, comedy. Well, well, I, well, that's a good fight to fight, Robert. Yeah, I,
0: I constantly, I'm constantly getting shouted down. No, no, and, but it's like because I mean, then there's you know, some director. Well, how do you know if it's if it's it's comedy or a drama? I go. If it's got a couple of layers, I mean, most of them, I go, I understand what you're saying if it's a dramedy, but I said, but let's, okay, so that's better because they're not going to win. But does comedies it, don't win. How many, in my lifetime, how many comedies have won? Uh, Annie Hall, Shakespeare in Love, I think that's it. I think that's it. So I, you're I, saying that there is a prejudice. It's not by nature. It, there, there is a prejudice by nature. Because, you know, like Woody Allen used to say, when you do good drama, you sit at the big boys' table. Yeah. So it's not by, it's not intent, it's just that we take things that are just serious more seriously than comedy, which I'll I'll fight that battle all the time, all the time.
1: I appreciate you being out there on that battlefield.
0: Oh, that'll be my battle to the day I die.
1: Well, thanks, Robert. You're welcome. That's our show. I appreciate you listening. Was that Rodney stuff great or what? Please go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF Pod needs. Check the episode guide. See who's been on the show. Get the app, the free app. Upgrade to the premium app. Stream them all for like 8 bucks a year something like that. If you upgrade to that premium, you can go to WTF Premium on iTunes. If you want to download some spe- select episodes for a couple bucks, you can get the uh, first 100 episodes of WTF on DVD. You can go to WTFPod.com for that stuff. You can take a look at some of the new merch we're making new uh, ceramic mugs. We're making new uh, MTV Riff t-shirts. Leave a comment. You can uh, get some just co-op. You can do whatever you'd like. More new cool things coming in a few months to WTFPod.com. and uh, We celebrate today the return of Death Black Cat. And as always, Boomer Lives!